Lord, we want you to speak to us today through your servant. Lord, we ask that we will be humble, teachable. We ask that, uh, that Ed, Lord, would be your mouthpiece and you would give him, uh, Lord, the freedom to proclaim, to present, and to press down, Lord, your truth onto our hearts. And Lord, for your glory, we ask that your will would be done. In your precious name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as Peter said earlier, as we started, today we conclude our summer of Psalms. In the past three months, we have seen the Psalms speak to the plight and the struggles we all face in life. In Psalm 114, it reminds us that we are, there is no hope for the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. In Psalm 17, we saw David's prayer for protection in a threatening situation. From Psalms 32, we better understand what true happiness looks like in life. In Psalms 51, we saw the restoring of David's joy after his sin with Bathsheba and arranging for the murder of her, of her husband to cover his sin. In Psalms 42, we saw the plight of the desperate or the depressed soul and what it takes to move out of that depression. In Psalm 73, we learned we are not to envy the wicked, but rest in the goodness of God. In Psalm 85, we understand that God is our salvation. That's because he is merciful to restore and forgive. In Psalm 99, we saw that our God is holy and we are to marvel at his holiness. In Psalm 120, we remember that although we want peace, it is not what many want. And we learn that we are pilgrims just passing through. In Psalm 137, we shared in the mocking and the grief and the pain of the Israelites as they experienced that under the hands of the Babylonians because of their sin. Today, we end this summer in 145. How would you give honor and praise to the one who has been your faithful guardian and guide over the course of your life. Imagine these scenarios. You are given an important, dangerous, but lonely task. You survive the hazards of the job because of the faithfulness of your guide and protector. While you are working, a visitor comes to your home to inquire about the members of your family. However, your family members don't seem to remember you until the visitor asks if there's any other son. Sometimes later you are sent on an errand and you are faced with a foe who speaks ill of your faithful guide and this makes you angry. Yet everyone else is afraid. No one else is willing to stand up for him but you. 
Imagine being called for a task, a very important task, by God himself. Your life is then turned upside down. You are threatened and even have a price placed on your head. Yet your friend remains with you, keeping you safe and continues to direct your paths. Imagine protecting a group of men who have the same menial job you once had from bandits and wild animals. But after you stand guard so they are not harmed, you are mocked, rejected, scorned by their supervisor. Then imagine making the biggest mistake of your life, a mistake that changes the trajectory of your life and brings a curse upon your family. Yet your guide and friend remains faithful to you. How would you honor him? You see, this was the life of David. We read in 1 Samuel 16:1 that he was tending his father's sheep when Samuel, the prophet, came to his house to anoint a new king. David was not included with the rest of the sons until Samuel asked, Is there another, is there any other son? David was sent on an errand by his father to go see his brothers, and he hears Goliath speak against the God of Israel. And this made him angry. But everybody else was afraid. David sent his men to watch over Nabal's sheep shears to protect them from harm. But then Nabal rejected him, spoke ill of him, then David committed the biggest mistake of his life by sleeping with another man's wife and having him killed to cover his sin. Yet in all of this, God was faithful to David. For David was called by God a man after his own heart. In this psalm, David wants us to see that God is worthy of all praise and at all times. Here's my proposition for today. God is worthy of praise from every living thing because of who he is and what he has done. Do you praise God for his faithfulness through good times and hard times of your life? What about when you are unfaithful? Do you still praise him? You see, God is worthy of our praise because of who he is and what he has done. In this psalm, David will praise God for his majesty, his works, his judgments, his greatness, his goodness, and his righteousness. You see, praise, praise begins with you personally. It says in verse 1, a song of praise of David, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord 
and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Giving praise is a choice. David says he will praise God, his king. He sees it as a personal responsibility of himself to praise him. He does not expect someone else to praise God on his behalf, but it is his responsibility to do so. David says, I will praise God myself. Not only that, David says he will praise him forever and ever, day in and day out, in good times and in bad times. We praise God every day is what we are called to do. David says, every day I will bless you and praise your name forever. You see, you and I, we are called to praise God each and every day Why we have breath. And again, I see all of you sitting upright, and I assume that you are all yet still breathing. God has woken you up, and you get to see a new day. Did you praise him when you got up? That you are on this side of eternity and not the other side. We are to praise him each and every day. Psalm 146 says, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to God while I have my being. You see, David understands and says, God is worthy of his complete devotion as his greatness is unsearchable. Do you see that? Do you understand that God's greatness is unsearchable? You cannot put a measure to it. What about you? What does that look like in your own life? Praising his name forever. Do you really see that his greatness is unsearchable? Or have you allowed the situations of your life to diminish your perception of his greatness? This past week, we experienced a solar eclipse that had not passed over the U.S. in 99 years, although here in the Bay Area we had maybe just small glimpses of it because of the uh, cloud covering. But imagine the God who created that and allowed that to take place that you could even experience it. Do we understand that he is unsearchable? Very often, we can be more excited about the eclipse than the God who created it. That could be our focus. That's what we see, and that's the only thing that's on our present mind. Much of the world in which we live in today spoke much of the eclipse and what it was coming to do, and we were so excited to see it. But yet, we can forget the God who makes it all happen. We must have to ask the question, have we allowed our circumstances, our situation, our finances, our job, our personal 
um, difficulties, our family relationship, have we allowed that to diminish who God is and his unsearchable greatness? We praise God because he is holy. David said, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever. See, David understands that God is holy and worthy of his praise. This is why he is exalting him. This is why he is building him up. This is why he is proclaiming him. We also read in Psalm 99.5, it tells us, exalt the, exalt the Lord our God, worship at his, his footstool, holy is he. Verse 9 also says, exalt the Lord our God and worship as his whole, at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. And again, if you remember back to Psalm 9, I think it was 99, and it says that we are to marvel at his holiness. Do you marvel at his holiness? You say we are called to worship God because of he is holy. But see, if our view of God is wrong, we will not worship him. We will not give him praise day in and day out, forever and ever, because we have diminished how we see God. You see, although David may be king, he understands that there is only one true God and one true king. And he says, I will bless his name forever. Your praise should overflow to the next generation. In verses 40, starting at verse 4, it says, One generation shall commend your works to another. You shall declare and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous work, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud your righteousness. Our praise is to continue to the next generation. Because God is so great, David says, one generation shall tell the next of his works. As you read the Old Testament, you see over and over and over again that they are to be remembering what God has done for the children of Israel. It is not to be forgotten. It is to be remembered. You see, as God brought the children out of Egypt, it was to be shared over and over again to every generation what he has done. It was to be continually told 
to everyone. It is, un, it is not uncommon for us that we have ex- enjoyed a great meal or a nice restaurant, and we want to tell someone what we've experienced. Oh, I had such and such, and it was so good. You, not, you ought to eat there. You should go experience that. That is not uncommon for us. In fact, even this summer, someone granted us a vacation, and we saw the majestic redwoods. Others just told us, oh, you've got to eat here at this particular place. Oh, you've got to go see this. And we were excited to go experience that. And what did we end up doing? We told someone else, oh, this is what we experienced. This is what we did. In fact, we even enjoyed a zip line together, my wife and I. We had a great time. But how much more should we also share the same truth and the greatness of God and who he is? What keeps you and I from telling all about the things that we enjoy here, but we forget and we don't share that same truth of who God is and what he has done on our behalf? David says he will meditate on his wondrous works. He will declare them. And again, I imagine you've had a great vacation and you imagine, oh, I can't wait to do that again. You've had a great meal and you can't wait till you can go back and eat there once again. That is why David is telling the next generation because he's pondered over it, he's thought about it, and he's, he's remembering all that God has done. And he's sharing that with the next generation. Sharing of God's splendor, God's majesty. See, God, David does not want that procla- proclamation of God and, and his greatness to end when he passes away. He wants it to continue. The next generation will continue to speak of his abundance. He wants them to continue the pattern of praising God for his greatness. He says they shall pour forth. He doesn't want it to trickle. He wants it to flourish. He wants it to flow. He wants it to be overflowing. In Psalm 78, 4, says, We will not hide them from their children, but tell of the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his mighty, of his might and the wonders he has done. You see, it was the responsibility of one generation to tell the next generation all that God has done. They were not to hold back, but yet to share everything with them. It is not uncommon in families today as the older family members are getting up in age that they want to know what they experienced, what they enjoyed, what God has done for them in their life, and they're hoping to get that written down so it is not forgotten.
that is so true even in the body of Christ that we would not forget what God has done. Lauren and I have had our struggles when it comes to the marriage relationship. And we often share with others that 23 years ago, God, in his mercy, helped us immensely. He restored, he rebuilt our relationship. Because at the time, we were like, it's about time to end this. It's not going well. We don't like each other. But God, in his mercy brought at the right time others in our lives that help rebuild, strengthen our relationship. And because of that, he has given us a passion to help other couples. He has helped us in so many ways. In fact, he has opened doors for her and I to go back to school. Well, I was in school, but she was joining me in school. So that's why I say join us in school to open a door, to get further education with the desire how to help others, to encourage others in their struggle. For those of you who have known us for some time, you've heard some of these stories from us because we want to share what God has done. We are so thankful for what he has done in our hearts and our lives. It would be a shame if we brought that to the grave and didn't share it with anybody. David wants the next generation to know what he has done so it's not forgotten that others will speak of his greatness. Another story comes to mind. Some of you know my, cousin, my late cousin Dave Bassard, who was the minister pastor in Modesto and um, then later in Oakland, and then in Castro Valley. And, he, and Kathy, her husband, uh, Kathy, her husband, Kathy, his wife, shares the story of at a time when they were trying to find a larger apartment for their family. And it was a difficult situation, a difficult season, and they finally found an apartment that they could rent. But it would take all the funds that they had to secure that location. So they end up securing the location. But Kathy says, we don't have any money to take care of the girls. Dave says, the Lord will provide. And as they're cleaning the apartment, they're sweeping and mopping and picking up the rug, and they find $40 under the rug that the previous owner forgot that he had, or they had put there. See, that was such an encouraging story for my wife. As during that season, we were still in school, and we were struggling financially, just trying to make it each and every day. And that was such an encouragement to her that she showed or told that story to her. Are you willing to share what God has done for you? Or are you going to keep it to yourself? In Isaiah 38, verse 1, God tells Hezekiah to get his house in order because he is about to die. 
Oh, Hezekiah cries out to the Lord, weeping and praying. Then in verse 2 and 3, God grants him 15 more years. And this is what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of, of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. Hezekiah says in verse, verses 17 and 19, Behold, it was for me my wealth and my welfare that I had great bitterness. But I love you. But in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. For you have cast all my sins before your back, behind your back. For Shuel does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope in your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. Hezekiah says, I will tell others of what you have done. I will not keep it to myself. I will share his, your truth with them. I will not let it go to my grave, but I will tell others. And you remember what God had told Moses as, he, as it pertains to children in Deuteronomy 6, 7 and 9. You shall, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them on the sign of a sign on your, on your hand and they shall be a, a frontal between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorsteps, doorposts of your house and on your gates. See, they understood that they were supposed to share the faithfulness of God to every generation. When they get up, when they get down, yes, they are to tell God of his commandments, share of his commandments, but they are also to share of God's faithfulness, how God has rescued the children of Israel. If I were to ask you, are you purposeful, consistently proclaiming God's mercy and his greatness? Do you praise God in your conversations when you are taking care of your kids? How about when they are doing their homework? Are you sharing who God is and his faithfulness? Is it a part of your everyday life not just at your devotions. You see, we praise God because he is gracious. Let's look at verse 8. It says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. You see, we praise him for his love and his mercy. See, I can imagine David, as he's reflecting on his life, 
he understood that he understood the graciousness and the mercy of his God. His destiny to be king, become king of Israel was not his choice. It was God's. God had chosen him. He has seen God's protection when his life was threatened. He has seen God's patience when those who rejected God were shown mercy. That is why he could say, the Lord is good at all times. And his mercy is over all that he has made. Today in our world, many reject God, saying that there is no God. They denounce God in what he has done. But yet God is merciful. David says, the Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. In Psalms 86, 14 and 15, David says, oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You see, our God is not slow in coming. He is patient. He is desiring that others would come to know him. He is not slow. He is patient. You see, we too are thankful for God for his steadfast love and mercy. Where would you be if it were not the, for the cross of Jesus Christ and the salvation that we enjoy? Have you ever pondered that? Where would your life be today? Would you even be here today? Would you be alive today? Some of our paths were down roads that we should not go and God has rescued us. And we are here today. So we are happy and we are thankful for God's graciousness, his mercy. But we also need to remember that our God is holy. And because he is holy, he cannot overlook sin. In Numbers 14, 18, Moses is pleading with the Lord for the people who continue to complain and murder and murmur. <clears throat> in verse 18, it says, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquities and transgressions, but he will no, by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquities of the fathers to the children to the third and fourth generation. Nahum also says this, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse 1, uh, in Nahum in 1, verse 3, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord by no means will clear the guilty. Because God is slow to show us anger, because God is merciful and loving, you see, he sent his son 
to pay the debt that you and I should have paid. God said, whoever believes in his son will have everlasting life. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, of the great love God showed towards us through Jesus Christ. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It says, by grace you have been saved. You see, we have this confidence for those of us who know Jesus Christ and has put our trust in him that we would not be rejected. And I would tell you, if you do not know Jesus Christ, you will not be rejected if you come to him. Jesus said in John 6, 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Let us not presume on God's love and his mercy and take it for granted, but understand we are to run let me say again, we are to run to the one who forgives us of our sin. That person is Christ. What about you? Are you presuming on God's love and his mercy? Are you in right standing with him today? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Our next point is, all of creation shall praise him, for he is eternal. David says in our text in verse 10, All your works shall give thanks to you, O God, our Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of your glory, of your kingdom, and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all, throughout all generations. You know, as we look at our world today, it is hard to imagine that one day we will all submit to him because all you see today in our world is strife, anger, hatred, pain. But Scripture tells us one day everything God has created will praise him. Every person on, on earth will bow before him. Philippians 2, 9-11 through 11 tells us, Therefore God has exalted him, Christ, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. <clears throat> David says in our text, we will speak of the power of we will speak of God's power and glory to the children of God, to the children of man. He says, it is our responsibility to tell him that one day he will come. One day you will bow willingly 
or by force? Are you willing to share that today with others? Very often in our world today, we put so much hope in our government, in our cities, in our judicial systems. We want a new president. We didn't like the old one. We don't like the new one. We want another one because we put all our hope in the wrong place. Not understanding there's only one everlasting kingdom and this is not it. Matthew Henry said it this way, the thrones of earthly princes tottered and the flowers of their crown wither. Monarchs come to an end, but Lord, thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. We are to tell others of the everlasting kingdom, the kingdom that is yet to come. It is not this kingdom. This one will fail and fade away. David says in Psalm 19.1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above they proclaim his handiwork. Also 103.22 says, Bless the Lord all his works, and in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All of creation shouts to who God is and his greatness and his majesty. If you traveled anywhere, if you saw the Grand Canyon, you saw the waterfalls at Niagara, which I hope to see one day, you see God in all of his majesty, his greatness. Is it only creation that should be proclaiming God and his greatness? What about you? Do you proclaim him and his greatness? Let us, as verse 11 says, speak to the glory of his kingdom and tell of his power to make known to the children of man his mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of his kingdom. Point number four. We praise God for his faithfulness to all. The Lord upholds all who are fallen and, raise, and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked will he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever. So we are to praise God 
for his help in difficult times. You see, there are seasons in our life when we are bowed down, not sure if we're going to make it through this particular season. We feel like we have fallen so far that we will not get back up on our feet. It is in these seasons that we see the faithfulness of our God. This was Lauren and I some 20 years ago after a car accident. We were on our way to Coyote Point uh, in uh, Newark to go for a walk. We had our youngest son, Brian, in our car with us. We had our, our dog, Nico, in the car as well. And a driver pulled out, thinking that the road was clear. And we T-poned her uh, in our Suburban. But Lauren experienced the most of that impact. Brian had some soreness as he had unbuckled his seatbelt just before the accident and landed behind the driver's seat. Uh, we had the middle seat in our Suburban down, so he toppled and landed behind um, the driver's seat. The dog and I suffered very, basically no trauma whatsoever. But Lauren suffered the brunt of it. In fact, she was out of work for a year. She couldn't work. She couldn't drive. She was in immense pain. In fact, she thought she would be that way for the rest of her life because it was so intense. She was bowed down. She thought, this is going to be my life for the rest of my life. It is in those seasons that you see the faithfulness of God as he upholds you, as he carries you, as he ministers to you, even in those seasons. David reminds us that God upholds those who are fallen and raises those who are bowed down. You see, we had no strength of our own. We couldn't do anything. We did not, there was no magic pill that we could take to fix our situation. But God opened different doors that began the healing process. We began to understand the faithfulness of God, even in difficult situations. Psalms 146a tells us, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. It is during those seasons that we began to see God in a new light. We got to see him differently. We did not know what God was doing, but yet we began to see his faithfulness. Because what was he doing? He was working on our hearts. He began to change us inwardly, although around us nothing changed. We praise God because he provides what we need. It is in these seasons of life we can forget that God loves us 
and he knows what he is doing. We can forget that God is sovereign over every single thing that takes place in your life. In verses 15 and 16 in our text, it says, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. There's nothing on our, this world that God is not working. He is not involved in. He is working in every single thing that has taken place. Jesus reminded his disciples of that in Luke 12, 22 to 30, as he's speaking to his disciples. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you are to eat, nor about what your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the raven. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barns, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your lifespan? He says, if then you are not able to do this small thing, why are you anxious about the rest? He says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow it is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you a little faith, he says to his disciples, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. He says, I know you need these things. You see, we can spend so much time, energy, trying to get ahead that we are consumed of things that are beyond our control. Things fill our lives with anxiety, fear, worry, and they affect the way we function every day. What we need to do is change our focus to the thing that does not change. And that is our God and our Savior. We are to hold fast to him and understand who he is and his greatness. You see, this was another season in our lives, as Lauren and I. In 2007, 2008, the recession took place. We had sold our convalescent home in 2007 with the hopes of um, buying homes and flipping homes. And the market crashed. Everything crashed. It was also during this same season that I got diagnosed with prostate cancer. It was a difficult season. Could we change anything in that season? No. 
It was beyond our control. But one thing we could do, and one thing that we did do, is we held on to God's truth and who he is. We began to memorize scripture. We began to pray even more earnestly together as husband and wife. One of the passages of scripture that we memorized was 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, glory, honor, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, we don't like the fire. We don't like the pain. But again, a faith that is not tested can't be trusted. Did we like that season? No. But yet we got to know our God even more. We got to see the faithfulness of our God in the midst of that situation. And in that situation, our relationship as husband and wife began to flourish because it wasn't just about me and her anymore, but it was about him who sustains us. Because I couldn't fix our situation. I was out of work. I couldn't find work. It's not that we didn't try to find work. We couldn't find work. So we ran to the one who could sustain us. We praise him because he is righteous in all that he does. You see, in our text, David wants us to see how great our God is and that he is worthy to be praised. Verses 17 and 18 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his work. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. You see, God is gracious in all his ways. That is true in the middle of your cancer. That is true in the middle of your car accident. That is true when the market plummets and you lose all your inheritance. That is true day in and day out. We often, though, question God and what he does. It's not uncommon for us to hear, I can't understand why God would do this. Or we hear others say, well, if I were God, I would. We forget that God is righteous in all his ways. Not in some of them, but in all of them. In verse 19, David says, He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cries and saves them. Those who fear God reverences God, who desires are God's desires. God fulfills their desires. Why? Because they want what God wants. You see, let us not make the mistake of thinking, it's all about me and what I want. I'm going to put God off to the side until I need him. I think that is a very dangerous situation to be in. 
And Isaiah 56 tells us, 56.6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. John 9.31 tells us, We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. You see, we have reason to praise him for those who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior because we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And that's why Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help at the time of need. Verse 20 of our text tells us, The Lord preserves those who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Here we see two sets of people, two different outcomes. The one that God loves, he preserves. But he will destroy the others. See, we don't like that, but that is the truth of what is coming if you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. John 3, 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John 6, 23 tells us, the reason for this punishment and the solution of it, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, God offers us the free gift of salvation and eternal life through his Son, Jesus Christ. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, praising God with your life begins with a relationship with his son. It begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because scripture says no one comes to the Father except through Christ, Jesus. In verse 21, David says, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. David comes full circle and saying again how, we will, how he will speak of God's praise. He implores all flesh to bless his holy name forever and ever. David has considered the greatness of God. He has understood that God is worthy to be praised He's worthy to be praised by every living creature for who he is and for what he has done. I have a few concluding thoughts. My first thought is this. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? 
Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Again, no one comes to the Father except through him. Do you know him? How often do you praise him? Do you only praise your God and Savior when you sit down for a meal? Or do you praise him all the time? And I would also ask, who hears those praises? Is it something you keep to yourself, or are you sharing those praises with someone else? Does your family hear you when you praise? Do your praises, do your praises overflow every day? Is it a part of who you are? Does it just bubble up as you praise him for who he is and what he has done? Do you praise God for his deeds and his attributes? See, it's not uncommon for us to praise God for his love, but he has other attributes, not just his love. Do you praise him for his other attributes as well? David says in verse 21, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your kindness, your greatness, your mercy. Oh, Father, may we never forget who you are and the magnitude of your greatness. May we marvel at it each and every day. I pray for this congregation that they likewise will praise you, that they would lift your name up, that they would proclaim it, proclaim it each and every day. But Father, I also pray for those who may not know you who are here. I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that they too will understand who you are and the greatness of who you are, that they too will praise you and lift up your name, that they would not be ashamed to do so. I pray, Father, most of all, that you would be glorified, that you would be honored today. May this body be a body who praises you, glorifies you, and lifts you up to all generations. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.